0: Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast, Frightfest preview series. And this is. You a are listening interview. to. Conversation Oi. with Joe Lynch about Mayden. The Britflix yeah, Frightfest preview podcast. podcast. Is that it just kind of started without an introduction? Um, so. You get the start of the call and how it develops. So there's a little bit of stuff which is visual, but. Go with it, and it soon turns into a conversation about mayhem. Hey, Stuart. Hello. You're in good silhouette. Oh,
2: I know that's. It's a little too noirish. Hold on, I got to take the Tony Scott out of the shot.
0: There we go. There
2: we go. There. Oh, did it. Not much better, unfortunately.
0: It's, it's okay. We, do, we only need audio for the for the recording. You sure? Okay. This is the right. the video's just for saying hello because obviously we never met and we're about to have a conversation. So I like to. Skype. Oh, I do
2: too. That it's just—it's so weird. It's I mean, it's a it's a little too too moody. I guess you could say. Uh, yeah. There we go. Well, it's, we'll we'll do it. We'll, we'll we'll try that. How are you, Stuart?
0: I'm doing very well. I'm doing very well. You're my I think you're my 18th preview podcast this Friday, so it's Ooh. it's been a bumper year for me. Um, Man. You'd be glad. To, I just thought. I thought, in honor of your film, I actually did a mind map of my thinking of how I'm going to talk to you about your movie. Oh, what full, the I hell? I went full, went full corporate. It says mayhem <laughs> in the middle, and then I went. To work, <laughs> Can <laughs> you see? <laughs> and,
2: and, all, and there's a lot of mayhem going all around. Exactly. It, that's great.
0: Exactly. So uh, yes, no, I, uh, I, I appreciate you making a movie lampooning because I think because I think satirizing has been done to death. But I think literally lampooning what corporate culture is about is what it was well overdue. So uh, I don't
2: think, we, I, yeah, I don't think we need to beat around the bush at this point anymore. You know, um, you know the. What's funny is that if you can encapsulate the movie in one scene, I would almost keep thinking about that slow mo scene from uh, Office Space where they just beat the shit out of the printer, mm. like just take that and stretch that out over eighty, eighty nine 89 minutes. And that's essentially kind of what, <laughs> what I was going for. Um, but yeah, like I, I felt like I can get away with broader strokes, you know, especially with the tone being more fun than mm. trying to be more, uh, scathing and mean spirited and stuff like that. It's like, there are plenty of movies in that, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, in this burgeoning subgenre called called worksploitation that we're, you know, that we're obviously fostering at this point. Um, uh, <laughs> But you know, there's enough people who live in that culture and feel that they're not underrepresented, but it's nice to see when someone can relate to like, oh my god, how many times have I heard, let's discuss before, mm. and the and that passive aggressive nature that the corporate culture fosters. Everyone is afraid of, of losing their jobs, so they don't wanna speak their mind or be honest or be passionate because it, you're just so like constricted. And I felt like if I was going to be able to get my point across, I wanted to kind of take that restriction off and, and just kind of go for broke. So, uh, so that, that's really kind of like, that was the tonal impetus of it was I felt like as long as I kept things fun and I had actors who were totally game to go along for the ride, Mm -hmm. then I could get away with some deplorable shit. If I was able to keep the tone on this kind of fun roller coaster level, not, you know, we need to make a point, and it needs to be, you know, uh, you know, the tone needs to be dark and serious and, and black as fuck. It's like, no, I, I, I want audiences to cheer and smile and have fun. And hey, if they quit their jobs after the movie's over, so be it. You know, c'est la vie. You know, hopefully, there's a, a few new burgeoning artists out there who are uh, but unleashed the, from but, this.
0: But it's the but the implication of the darkness of working in office there. You can make the action light and fun, but ultimately. Yeah. Been, I mean, I, I'm five years out of it myself, and I feel I feel like I'm like I'm a, I'm a office worker anonymous here now. I've been out of it for five years now.
2: It's fucking traumatizing, and <laughs> you know, I, I've when um when I started my I guess my feature film career or whatever, mm. you know, I I quickly learned, and this was after Wrong Turn two, mm-hmm. and when when I got that movie, I thought like, I'm in, you know, like I've I've broken the seal, I've mm. opened the door and now everything is going to be three picture deals and I'll never have to work a day job again because I'll be working on all these other things. And that's just not the way it is. And that's not the way the culture is. And that's not the way the, the industry is at this point. You know, you un- unless you are incredibly lucky doing like, you know, a big studio film, most indie filmmakers have to make a living. You know, mm. there's just the, the work is not as affluent and it's not, it's not as um, available. So I, being the person that just can't stop working, like I just don't feel that's my father's uh, instincts that have, I've uh, inherited, but I just, I couldn't, I didn't feel right not just working. So I ended up working for this company, G4, which was the video game network. Okay. And they were picked up very quickly by a corporate ca- structure, um, NBC Universal, and then we kind of got like squeezed into there. And very quickly, the, you know, kind of dot-com boom kind of culture that G4 was kind of about quickly turned into a very, you know, very corporate kind of structure. And when you're being hired as someone who's creative, but then you have to fit into this mold of, you know, 17 different approvals for one question, or, you know, you have to be you, you can't offend anybody in, you know, in the office because of your you know creative ideas because it might break protocol from the HR uh, employee handbook or whatever. There's just all these rules that just constrict people, especially when you're in a creative position or you're just <laughs> – if you're just human, uh, it, it can be kind of demoralizing.
0: It well, I think, I think it's, the, of it's not even creative, is it? It's the idea of just being individual and the corporate doesn't like individuality.
2: no not at all not at all like it it wants conformity it wants you know it wants everyone to kind of assimilate to you know uh numbers and to statistics and to algorithms and that's just not that was as much as i knew that i needed the job you know in between the other movies and stuff like that Mm. just to support me and my family it, it it was stifling it just it was really hard to deal with trying to balance both they want me to be creative but every time that I actually have something that I go, this is going to be great, this is, gonna, this is the voice of the show or the network or whatever, and then it has to be vetted by 20 different people all with their own agendas, most times not very creative, and then what you end up with is something that is so far removed from what you were originally hired to bring up, mm. You know, and, then, and then they go, but it's free bagel day, and then thinking that you'll be fine with that, like, oh, I'm, I hate my job, ooh, bagels. That's that's. I, was,
0: I used to work somewhere where where the board would come in, and if they didn't eat all the lunch, you were then invited in to finish it off. So what is it wasn't even like it wasn't even like your lunch, but it was like that was a treat. It was like you could go in now. They've left this.
2: That's every Friday <laughs> uh, at like because I've now worked f- you know for NBC Universal on and off for mm. you know almost a decade. You know whether it was you know, you working at G4 or working at Esquire. And look, truth be told, they kept, you know, they were cool enough to let me continue to come back. So I can't completely fault them. Mm. It's just, it was kind of like a, kind of an oil and water situation where we, as much as I knew that I had to be in the glass with that oil, I didn't really jive with it. We didn't quite connect and we somewhat stayed separated. I still got my job done and and I did good work, but it just didn't feel like me. And they, you know, every Friday they would uh, they would do the same thing where it would be like the, the board would have their big meeting and they'd order out these amazing sandwiches and all of us would be like fucking rats like waiting <laughs> in the wings and then you'd see them all walk out and then the secret then when, like the personal assistant would come out and kind of give us the signal and we'd all run in like a bunch of fucking hobos on Thanksgiving morning going like nah, 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 nah. and that that was. That was the <laughs> lifestyle, like a bunch of rats. We were. We, it was like in a in a rat race. That is the corporate culture. We were the rats.
0: I'm glad. I'm glad that's a universal truth thing. Because I did th- when I used oh, to do it. I thought. Yeah. I thought to myself, God, am I just am I just low rent here?
2: Nope, nope, dude. Like <laughs> now. Now to be fair, they were really good sandwiches. No, and that's so. the
0: that's the that's why we kept going back because it was it was. Uh, it was always good. and There was always a little bit of sushi. You're like, this is ridiculous. I wouldn't go yeah. and buy this for my lunch. So I might as
2: well. No, nope. that, that's the thing. It's, you, I would sit there and I would I'd look at my lunch and I made myself you know, in the morning and be like, OK, it's a fucking turkey sandwich that probably cost me like a dollar or whatever. And it's going to taste like a dollar or two. And then you have this like French pressed panini with all this fancy shit all over it and like a salad that cost more than my fucking paycheck. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to eat that. And then, you know, for the hour or two that you're sitting there going like, oh, this is so delicious. And then you just realize like, oh, I'm so dead inside.
0: <laughs> now, before we go on too much about our, 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 our observations of the corporate world, let's 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 pinpoint why we're talking. I know I put it on the, sure. on the mood board um, Mayhem is your film playing at Frightfest this year. Yes. So, as this as this is a preview podcast, let's let's do a little bit of a preview then. So, if you sure. want to tell the listener um, what, give us a brief synopsis to what Mayhem is about,
2: please. Sure. Uh, Mayhem is uh, it's a film uh, that's very personal to me. Uh, it's a story about uh, this vi- dangerous virus called the ID Seven virus, and uh, it is uh, a virus that makes people lose their inhibitions for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And what happens if that virus uh, gets let loose in a law firm? Uh, one of those kind of like high concept ideas that I've, that I've just went like, I wanna see that movie. Um, and essentially that's, that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. But what's interesting is that we have these two characters who are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You have Stephen Young who plays uh, Derek Cho, who's one of the lawyers in the law firm who coincidentally enough, Got, was part of the team, the legal team that got uh, a man off for murder while on this virus because essentially they were saying that he's not liable for what his actions are because he was infected by the virus so by getting that guy off, it sets this precedent to well if that's the case and anyone can get off on on whatever they do while they're infected, what would happen if this was let loose you know in a law firm where people would be like fuck it, i'm gonna I'm gonna be innocent after this so Derek gets fired right before the quarantine happens for something that he didn't do, and he ends up getting, fi- like getting thrown out of the building, but right before he does, the quarantine goes up and he's stuck. Mm. And, uh, and then he decides, because he's also infected, he decides, I wanna go to have a, have a chat with the boss and maybe get my job back, knowing that there's gonna be a lot more to it than just a, a polite chat. Mm. Um, he, uh, he befriends uh, a client of the, uh, of the firm, who tried to go in and save their house essentially and got rebuffed and was also kind of thrown out. So uh these two like characters who at first completely hated each other but hated was, each other in that say, passive I was you know, gonna yeah, say it's a were, really
0: nice introduction of those two characters and their unexpected relationship is a is a nice reversal of, of expectations in the movie. You know, right at exactly. the get
2: it, it's it's nice to when, when you can have these characters who are naturally and organically given opposition you know it's like in most most buddy movies or buddy especially like buddy cop movies you know you take merton and you take rigs and you put them together and you sit there and go like okay they're they're telling each other to go fuck themselves and they don't seem to like each other but there's really no motivated reason why they're just new partners like why did, why do both of them have a chip on their shoulder in a way whereas here it's like you know that opening scene where derek and and Melanie are having this um they're having this conversation in the most passive aggressive way possible, at least on his end, because that's the protocol, that's what he's used to. He's used to just being like able to push people off with a polite smile or whatever, because they can just call security and let them go. Um, here, they don't have that luxury anymore because of the virus, and because they've been kind of thrust together in a way, both at the bottom of their own, uh, I guess, a career l- uh, ladder or whatever, they're stuck in the basement together and realize the only way that they can get out is to take advantage of the fact that they have this virus and beat, fuck, and kill their way to the top, essentially, to, uh, to do what's right.
0: Well, I think that's, I mean, when we were talking earlier about the, the idea of uh, lampooning the, the, the corporate world, I thought mm-hmm. the, the, the the passive-aggressive stuff was, was something you, you're able to do really, Always was always done really well throughout. The idea that it was the business that was doing things to you. I'm not doing anything to you. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. Derek does it when he's talking to her. And then as we escalate through the movie, different people for different reasons are basically saying, it's not me. I'm I'm just, you know, yeah. I, it's, it's kind of like, I mean. It's
2: nothing personal. It's it's not personal. It's business. Not, I mean, not, that's. Not to incite,
0: that's, not, sorry, not to incite Godwin's law. It's a bit like, I'm only following orders. Yep. And...
2: <laughs> no, that's every, every single character in a way, um, at least all the all the characters who are in opposition to Derek and even Derek in the beginning. When he tells her like there's nothing we can do that you know it's the bank's you know idea, or when the Reaper you know is confronted by Derek later on and he goes like it's the firm's choice, it's you know like there's nothing you can do. Everyone is able to um, I guess place the blame upward, you know like oh it's it's that's above my pay level, you know. So there's this passive aggressive way of passing the torch upward. So I thought like okay we need to make this in into an almost game of death sort of situation. Uh, and, and I don't know if you got the in-joke, but the mug is the same uh, pattern and color as Bruce Lee's mug in Game of Death. So there's, there's Stephen oh, and I. Oh,
0: oh no, I didn't say no. Well done.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Um, but But you needed to have this kind of escalation idea so that you knew exactly who was at the top and how we needed to get there to attain, you know, to really grab the audience and make them go like, yeah, we want to help you. We want to emotionally, you know, like root for you as you keep going up and up and up the corporate ladder to finally get your due. Um, but and that and all felt very natural to me. I mean, everything in the first 30 minutes of the movie, all the dialogue in there, uh, especially from anything that Derek is talking to any of his higher ups, like the siren and the reaper and even the boss all of those conversations I've had before. There's so much of that dialogue that is dialogue that I've had in meetings and conversations. Like anytime that I hear someone say, let's discuss, whether it's in an email or it's said in person, I get I get hives. I just go, oh God, because it's the most fucking passive aggressive thing that you can possibly say, let's discuss, go fuck yourself. That's, that's my response to let's discuss is go fuck yourself because just say what you mean. You don't need to discuss anything. It it annoys the shit out of me. So having all that stuff kind of installed into the movie is very cathartic for me. And as we've been showing the movie since South by Southwest, which has been amazing, uh, so many people have come up to me afterwards and said, I have heard that so many times before ad nauseum that it's so nice to see see it in a movie and see it reflected and see my frustration reflected on the screen. And then see said people that said it get the shit beaten out of them.
0: It's,
2: <laughs> it's very cathartic to them.
0: Well, I was gonna. I mean, for me, the the the, um, the line "Let's discuss" is always evidence that you're talking to somebody who has permission to say no, but doesn't have permission to say yes. So, yeah. they w- so they want to be involved. They want to se- seem like they care, or they're just nosy. So the "Let's discuss" always becomes this idea of hey, let's hey, let's take this further. You're not that's, get
2: a, that's a really good point. That's a very, very good point.
0: Wow. The, world, the world is full of them, and I and I've, I used to, my, my job was in sort of corporate communications, so you oh. were you were sending stuff out to either five hundred people or out to the world, and the amount of checks and balances before things you know leave as it mm-hmm. were, yeah. is, is all about that. But then you get a load of people who 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 basically occupy space between the answer who don't have the answer. They just want to yeah. be involved,
2: and then and, and they don't want to have like no one wants to make the the, the definitive answer that might put their ass on the line.
0: Yeah.
2: That that's that's a huge thing. No one wants to actually have the balls to make a choice and own up to it if it fails, or make you know, or not make a choice, or you know, or, or say like no and stand firm with that. No, and no one wants to do it where there's especially when there's someone right looking you right in the face. It's always got to be. Um, someone else has to do it, you know, so if the boss has a decision to make, he sends someone else to do it. If it's going to be a firing, he's going to send the Reaper. If it's going to be someone getting their ass kicked, it's going to be the bull. Like he never does until the end of the movie, not to spoil anything, but he doesn't really do anything other than delegate his nefarious needs Mm. to other people. And that's so many of so many bosses that I've worked for where you're like, I'm standing in the room with you right now. You can make this decision (laughs) that impacts both of us creatively professionally whatever yet you need to have me leave the room go back to my desk and then you need to send down an email to someone else to send an out an email to me and it's just dehumanizing like who wants to deal with that so that's that's really something that I connected to so much when I read Matthias's script because I was literally in that office dying slowly inside as I got that that so you know so
0: so so the script was something that was sort of consider this joe and you oh, read yeah. it and you were like oh my god this speaks to me
2: absolutely after i um after i directed everly um matt smith over at circle of confusion who um you know they you know they've produced everything from the walking dead to um matt produced uh, maleficent he's been around forever yeah. and um and he was a, a big fan of everly and he sent that over and he had no clue that i was working that that particular type of job. They just sent it over. Of course, it wasn't him who sent it. It was the agents who had to send it to the managers who had to send it to me, of course. <laughs> nice email chain to 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 be apropos to this plight. Uh, but yeah, when, when I got that script, I was in my office. Um, not, no, I wasn't even in an office. I had a cubicle at the time because they had to downsize. So everybody who had offices before got downsized to cubicles, which is whatever. I don't give a shit. Like I look at my porn at home, so I have nothing to hide. Um, but it still was like, it felt like a fucking rat race. It felt like if you put an overhead shot on us, we would look like fucking Pac-Man and we were all just ghosts running around trying to get those fucking, you know, pellets. And when I read that, I read it in one sitting and I immediately went, I need to meet on this because I, I know this character better than anyone else would, especially in, in that position. So when I went in and and basically told them like, that character is me like i i know how he feels and i can completely connect to him and i feel like there's a way that we can make him likable enough or relatable enough that whatever we end up doing with derek and whatever extremities that he needs to go to to get his point across even in the you know in the broadest strokes of what a genre film can can offer that is going to be, you know, satisfying for an audience. It can't just be a lot of people sending emails out like "fuck you, fuck you, you're fired" and that's it. It'd, it'd be a really <laughs> boring fucking movie. So, so that that was something where I said I I know I know this character and I know this world and I know that I can bring something to the table that I that I feel strongly will connect to an audience of people who have been there and done that. And uh, and yeah. And then after after that one meeting, we were off to the races.
0: And, and also, again, when thinking about um, what what would be political about your movie is your casting choice for Derek. It's in, cor- yeah. in corporate... America, and, and I think, you know, given where we are in the world today with the way USA pro- politics are uh, being projected out to the rest of the world, mm-hmm. the idea you've chosen uh, a Korean actor as, as your lead to play this kind of aspiring corporate Keith kind of guy... Yeah. Is, and, and look, and for those listening, the film doesn't make any issue of that at all. He just he just is, yep. isn't he? He just is. But that Me was, that's a very, I was going to say, it seems very political in of itself.
2: Oh, it was. Uh, I mean, it was and it wasn't. When um, when I got the script, well, actually, when we worked on the script, um, we worked on it for about a year with Matthias, just to make sure that everything, all the I's were dotted, all the T's were crossed and everything. And, and I also wanted to kind of infuse all of my... Uh, what I like to now refer to as research for all the corporate stuff. So I can look back at all that corporate stuff and say like, oh no, I was kind of going undercover. I was deep cover. (laughs) That's what, that's exactly, I I was like Cameron Crowe in the Fast Times of the Ridgemont High, where I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to school and just kind of hang out as a student. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna go to this corporate structure and I'm just gonna soak it all in. (laughs) Bullshit. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I wanted to have the world be reflected by someone who was our everyman. Like I needed, and I've said this before, it's like, we need our new Richard Dreyfus. We need that guy that, you know, everyone can just kind of look at and say like, I could be that guy, or I can be that one. you know? They're not too good, you know, they're not too gorgeous looking, they don't have like total movie star looks, they feel, they just feel real. and and while that was happening, this was right around the time that uh Steven's arc on The Walking Dead was really coming to a head, so that when we got the when we got the green light to go do it, and it happened very fast, it was literally like out of the blue. I am mm-hmm. driving home and and the producer calls up and said, like we, we got this, we can start doing it. I'm like, oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> and and then, you know, then you start getting the lists of you know all the available actors and all the, the actors that they feel, you know, could be right for the part. And I'll be honest, you know, and this is coming from a white dude, but that was a list of white dudes, mm. and I'm, and even, you know, even in my, you know, in both my professional creative career as a director and a creative doing, you know, a bunch of stuff in the Hollywood industry, and then there's also the corporate me that was doing stuff in a more structured corporate, you know, uh, realm in, in a way. Um, I. I just felt like the, the America of our now, at least, and this was a year ago. So it's amazing to see how much things have changed already, um, but still keeping things, um, you know, as melting pot as possible because that's my America. I don't know if it's Trump's America, but fuck him. He doesn't. He, he doesn't deserve any of our and our, our talk time today. Fuck him. Um, but that that's really that's that's how I see the world. I mean, even with. Um, With Everly, uh, with with Sama, you know, like again, we try not to make too much of a big deal of you know of her ethnicity. It was just this is the situation she was in, and the same thing with with Stephen. And this, there was an episode of The Walking Dead, the the infamous one with the dumpster, right? Mm -hmm. And when that happened, the next day it was like my fucking Twitter melted. It was everybody was talking about it, and it was amazing to see how much people were affected just by this character being supposedly gone. That really blew me away. So the next morning I came in and I said, guys, I, I like I know that there's you know all these great actors who are around and that, that that's all good and whether they're bankable or not, and that's a that's definitely a consideration how marketable actors are. What if we went with Steven? Because, you know, A, he's a fantastic actor. I mean the fact that we were able to see him create this arc for Glenn over six seasons so wonderfully and subtly that Everyone loved him on that show so much that obviously when things happened later on, you know, it's like the the whole nation mourned. Um, So he has this likability and this charm and this relatability that people, white, black, Asian, purple, whoever, can just relate to because he just felt like a normal guy put into extraordinary situations. I mean, look at The Walking Dead. He's a fucking pizza guy. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up becoming a true hero, a conflicted hero, but a true hero by the end. And I just went. That's our Richard Dreyfus. That's the guy that I need. And they go, well, you know, is that going to be an issue with the, you know, the fact that he's Asian? And 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 that was a that wasn't even like a concern for them. It was more just, does that fit in the world that you feel? And I go, absolutely. That's the world that I want to reflect. But we didn't know that we were going to be able to get him. So we um, we called him up, and and he, you know, seemed to respond to the script. And next thing you know, we're sitting down and like within seconds we knew that we that this was gonna work out like Mm. we just we just had this we both were looking at the world from the same perspective we both saw the same plights we both saw the same stress points and you know for steven and and we both agreed on this from the get-go we go we don't want to make an issue with his ethnicity he is just an american that's it Mm. now again current culture climate would try to profess otherwise, but fuck them. Like I would rather see it that.
0: Well, to be honest with you, if you watched Expendables, uh, you know, the the jokes at Jet Li's expense and Expendables are pathetic.
2: It's, it it just doesn't need to be there. Especially those, like those just were unwarranted. And, you know, Steven and I talked a lot about the, um, I I believe it's called the, the Oriental ceiling where, you know, he was telling, he was showing me all these statistics about how Asian employees or, you know, Asian executives, are statistically usually only allowed to get to a certain plateau Mm -hmm. in the world before they're they're just kind of cut off. And, you know, whether you want to call it racism or bigotry or whatever, you know, but again, in the corporate structure, there are so many loopholes and passive aggressive ways of diverting and, like, and uh, uh, what is it, swerving away from what could be the obvious that no one talks about it because they just think like, no, 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 that's not it at all. We don't know what you're talking about. And we thought, both Steve and I thought like, there's no real good reason to try to, you know, um, infuse that into the script as is. Derek's going through enough. And we thought it might just be more interesting if we don't make a meal out of, you know, his 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 race at all and just make him Derek, the, you know, the lawyer yes. who's been, been slighted and now he's got to deal with, you know like trying to get his job back and trying to be you know the, the his better self and it just felt so refreshing to not make it into a thing mm. and and I'm I'm thrilled that we didn't because it just felt like I would much rather the audience hinge on his dilemma more than like well you know the reason why he got fired is mm. and that just wasn't it wasn't any of my concern
0: now it's a, it's a, it's a it's a marvelously frenetic movie um, it basically from the moment we're talking about people getting fired and getting chucked out the building, it's <laughs> literally kicking off. Now you you've got some very large set pieces, haven't you? Within that movie, I'm not saying they're all they're all focused on one things, but there's a lot, always a lot going on. In you might oh, yeah. Derek might be fighting something or somebody, but then you've got a whole office full of people you're trying to include in yeah. the shot. What what was the experience of that for you to try and sort of get all that? Because it's almost like you're doing Almost like sundry fights to make it's, to get the scale. It
2: was it was incredibly complex because you know um, we we originally had uh, a budget that was much bigger projected than, than what we ended up with, mm-hmm. and when um, when we were kind of coming down to how we were going to be able to do this, you know, and of course, you know, in my head, I'm always going like, it's got to be Die Hard, it's got to be Die Hard, and like. <laughs> And then I was like, "Man, no, we don't want it to turn from Die Hard into like that Pamela Anderson." Oh no, the um, oh god, it's that movie Skyscraper with. Um, uh, well, look it up. You <laughs> you you won't you won't want to watch that one. Um, but it, like, I knew that we needed to put as much money on screen as possible. So when we uh, when we were looking around, uh, we went we ended up going back to Serbia where I shot Everly because um, just the, the the budget would be able to accommodate all the scope that we were trying to go for but not break our bank at the same time and that was including the building and also the extras um and, and essentially we just, so that's, 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 just sorry point. is
0: that so that building's in belgrade is
2: it that that building is in belgrade it's and that building, building is also the building's also only two stories tall no yep <laughs> we ended up we reused those both of those floors eight times uh every like that's how amazing my production designer and my art department were there who i had worked with on everly as well okay they we we came up with this plan where you know say on from monday to wednesday we were on you know floor six and there was a design and a look and a a feel and particular extras that were on that floor Mm -hmm. and then as we went you know technically as we went up so to speak once we were done with that set, we moved on to the second, you know, the second floor, which was the, you know, in the movie, it was floor seven. Every, all these worker bees and all these amazing artisans came in and they were dressing the the bottom floor as we were working the top. And then we would go down again and do that as floor eight. So it was a lot of leapfrogging, but knowing that, that with that building, it's like, and again, like being in that world, everything is the same. Like sometimes when you're in – like when I'm in some of these corporate buildings and you walk in and you go, wait, am I on floor five, six, seven, or eight? I don't know because it looks all the fucking same. Mm. And if you know, if there were subtle ways that we could change the color palette and change certain um, iconography or certain um, uh, building uh, building layouts or whatever just to make it feel like it's not the same thing over and over again. I kind of took a cue from Cube. Remember the movie Cube? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. You know, and where, you know, he only, uh, Vincenzo only used, you know, one set, but he would use things like light and certain patterns that were on the walls just so that it felt every time that they went through another one, it was a different feel, yeah, yet yeah. it was the same four walls. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, you know, it's, it's tricks like that, that make it so, you know, your. are much bigger budgeted project. If you would just found a building that was ten stories tall, as opposed to being crafty and thrifty and really using those creative juices that have been stifled for so long in the mm. corporate structure, and just let that explode and come up with these, you know, um, in retrospect, ingenious ideas of how to make it all work. That's the excitement of, of making the movie. Um, so so yeah. So we went back to Belgrade and, and shot it there, and uh, and it was it was fantastic because. In in the past, I've always used um, a very – like I guess a a kind of rigid way of shooting where I would storyboard everything out and and board everything out and try to walk on set with as rigid a a plan or as strict a plan as possible, also knowing that I was probably going to just throw shit out left and right. Mm -hmm. Here, I took a cue from the movie and just kind of went with my id. So knowing – as long as we had – like production design was all set and we knew who needed to be there or the extras or whatever and then – I kind of just shot from the hip. I just went, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to land every day. I'm going to look at the sets. We're going to block it all out. Then I'm going to go away and I'm going to come up with the the shots that I know, you know, there are the gag shots that I know that we have pre-designed, but I'm not going to be limiting myself to this, you know, 20 to 40 setup day that's on a page. I, we ended up with doing like 40 to 50 setups every day, just because we had two cameras. And I also was able to just kind of improv a lot of these shots without having to stifle myself by going like no i have to have this low angle shot i've been conceiving this for three months and it has to happen and then you'd get disappointed when it doesn't happen so i was like you know what i I know that i can get a a low angle shot so i'm going to put that in my back pocket and if the moment calls for it on the day and i know that it's not going to be too hard to get it and I'm going to get it then because I let my, I let my heart kind of drive the shots instead of going like, that's going to be a cool shot. And that's going to be a cool shot. No, that's going to be an homage to this shot. And that's going to be my Christopher Nolan shots. Like, no, 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 no. Go, go with your heart. And, and that's, and that was so freeing to me because it felt like I was Derek. Like I was letting my, my artistic passions drive me instead of being so rigid and trying to fit into a, Uh, a structure which was Mm. very much the character and and i think that that kind of energy shows in the movie where without a doubt without a doubt yeah, it it just moves you know and and it also kind of it fits this it fits the scope and it fits the style and and i loved working like that it was so it was both nerve-wracking as fuck because i'm going to set every day going like i don't know if this is gonna work (laughs) and contrast that with every day i'd walk away and go because i didn't have this preset expectation of how many shots I needed to get, I just let the actors and the environment around me and the wonderful crew fuel me and just drive me into using my pure cinematic id to, to lead us every day. And and more times than not, I would walk away or I'd get in the, the van and go back to my apartment and go, that was a fucking good day. I mean, it, like, we, we got everything we wanted and we got things we never thought we were going to get Can i mean you- there's so many happy accidents in the movie it's ridiculous
0: you have been listening to oh, yeah. the Fright Fest preview podcast and so ends part one of two my conversation with joe lynch about mayhem part two will be available soon or if you're listening to this a long time after august 2017 then it's probably already available in the same place you got part one enjoy hey y'all Darius rucker here you know a lot of people ask me what inspires your music